I stole Dory's mirror from her office. Don't tell her. And uh, it's because when I preach, I like to watch myself. Make sure I'm doing a good job. So, and if you guys aren't encouraging me while I'm preaching, then I'm just going to talk to myself and encourage my, my wonderful preaching. Have a mirror up here for a reason, and it is because we are in our Who We Are series, as you can tell, Who Are We? And we've went over our mission and our vision. Now, our mission is to glorify God. You guys heard me rant about that for about an hour a few weeks ago. And then our vision is for everyone to be able to belong, believe, and then become. It's very crucial that they are in that order. Belong first. Not believe first. Not come with your checklist of beliefs, make sure we agree, and then you can belong. It's we are a we are a community of people who disagree on a lot of different things, but we agree on the principle that this is a place where you can belong no matter what you believe. And then you can learn to believe in Jesus and become all who God made you to be. So this week we're into the values. We have four values. I think I had a slide made. I did. I, there they are. Our, all four values. Intimacy, community, mercy, and multiplication. Now, I want to go through each of those values to kind of give you, if you're new here, a description as to kind of what we're about. But I'm not really into just kind of telling you what they are without giving you a how. Because you have to have a how when you're understanding um, our values and anything that God's word says, we have to understand how we're going to dive into it. So before we do that, I just want to ask that we all pray. We ask God to speak to us, not Rod to speak to us, although they do rhyme. And maybe God can speak something into our hearts and use his creative power to change us. So if you would agree with me, Father, we just ask right now that you speak to our hearts and our minds that you do a creative work in us. And we say creative work because we've seen you speak other creative works into existence. And we're asking for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I wondered if you guys would be distracted because it took eight hours to get here this morning with the marathon. And then when you got here, all the parking lots are blocked. So if you had to park a mile away, I'm sorry. I'm going to go through these uh, values in order, intimacy, community, mercy, and then multiplication. And the passage I'm going to use is Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So if you have a Bible or a, a Bible app, open up to Genesis 1, 27 and 28. We are in Genesis 1 because this is how God designed stuff, how he designed everything to be. And if you know anything about Genesis 1, it begins with God speaking everything into existence. He begins by separating things. And then he takes those things that he separates and he begins to fill them. So he separates water from water. He separates land from water. He separates the sky. And and then he fills everything with birds and fish and people and all that stuff. And so God is just creating. He's just making stuff. And then towards the end, he starts to give everything purpose. Specifically, 
humans. So Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God, God creates all this stuff and then he gives it purpose. And if you keep reading, you'll notice he doesn't rest until his creation has purpose. You're not here just hanging out. He designed some things for you to be. He designed some things for you to do. If you think you're just hanging out, you're going to get really depressed. Been there. God created man in his own image. This is where, this is where I draw the intimacy piece from. And here's how I like to explain it. My son, as many of you know, is adopted. But what's really cool about that, that I, I think is cool, is everybody thinks he looks like me. They really do. People come up and go, he looks exactly like you, whether they know or not. If they know he's adopted, then they're, they're kind of like, you know, are you lying? Did you just keep him in a closet for, you know, five years? But every, everybody says, he looks like you. And then I start to hear him say the same things back to me that I say to him. Like, because I said so. And stop arguing with me. And you just interrupted me. All those positive reinforcement things we do to our children. And he walks like me. And his sense of humor is like me. And if you were to look at him, you would... You, you wouldn't use this language, but you would think he is created in the image of Rod. <laughs> Rod's son has been created in God's image to glorify, no, I'm just kidding, not to, not to glorify Rod. He's, he's been created in my image. And what that points to is the idea that we must in some way have a closer relationship than I have with any of you. You guys don't look like me. You don't act like me. You don't, you don't talk like me. You don't have the same mannerisms. But for some reason, Xander does. It points to the idea that we, we've been created for intimacy. And so at the very beginning of creation, when God made humans... He said, let's make humans in, in my image. Meaning, we are meant to not only kind of reflect his glory, but we're so much like him that we are meant to spend time with him. Whatever that looks like, we're meant to step into a place where we can acknowledge God as our father and us as his children. And as we begin to acknowledge him as our father and learn what it means to spend time with him as our father, then all of a sudden, people begin to kind of change their language about us. And they, they say things like, there's just something different about you. You, you. you look different. You act different. You seem more peaceful 
You seem like you have purpose. You seem like you have focus. You seem like you really know how to love. You're a really good listener. All those things are attributes of God and many, many more. So at the beginning of time, he created us in his image so that we can focus on our relationship with our father. And then people can say, yeah, they must be family. You guys understand so far? Okay. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So right after God creates humans, I know this is pretty elementary, but you got to listen because it's God's word and it's the foundational principles. So don't, don't zone me out. He created them male and female. God created them. Now, we understand that there's a direct connotation to getting married and reproduction and all that stuff. But very early on, God notices, well, just one guy sucks. That's bad. I mean, there's, o- there's only so much fruit you can eat by yourself before you're bored out of your mind. And so God says, it's not good that this guy is alone. And yet many of us walk around and live our lives very much alone. And so we move to to our second value. Once you have an understanding and an apprehension that you have been created in God's image and are meant because you're created in his image to be his child, to, to represent his mannerisms and to have intimacy with him, you're not meant to be alone. You're just not. You're not meant to be alone. You're meant to look outside of yourself and see people. And you're meant to be able to take your heart out of your chest. And you're meant to be able to put it on the table in front of other people who are created in God's image. And have them lift it up. Now here's where all of this went haywire. Adam and Eve got all of that. They're created in the image of God. They're in relationship with him, walking with their father in the garden. They're seeing each other and recognizing that the other person is created in the image of God. And then they sin. What's unique about the sin is it's all knowledge-based. You know, you you guys know the story, right? The devil's like, "If if you eat this, you'll know. He doesn't really tell them what they'll know, but he says, you'll know. And so they go, yeah, they get jealous of God, and they say, we want to know. And they eat it, and then all of a sudden they find themselves staring in the mirror. I can see you guys. I could preach the whole sermon like this. (laughs) My gosh, I I need to stay focused when I preach. I really do. Pray for me about that as I, as I talk to you guys, because I, I think this is funny that I'm standing and staring at you guys in the mirror right now. Adam and Eve's focus completely shift. What they learned, what they, what they became knowledgeable of is themselves and their own inadequacies. And so they started to do these things called sowing, 
hiding and blaming. They started to learn how to cover themselves so that when they got back together, it would be like they, they wouldn't, no one else would see the inadequacies that they felt about themselves. And then when they found out, I'm not very good at um, sewing because one, fig leaves don't hold up. I'm going to hide. And so they started hiding. And then at this moment when God is like, I created you to be in community. I created you to reflect my image. And the opposite's happening. You're looking at yourself and you're like, I'm not good enough. I'm inadequate. And so now I have to hide from community. I can't let anyone else see me. God's like, what in the world? And he finds Adam and Eve. And he's like, why were you hiding? What's going on? I didn't create you for this. I created you to to understand that you're my child and that you reflect me and that's a beautiful thing and and you're supposed to be in a relationship with other people and communicate that to them. But, But you're hiding. You're doing the opposite. Why are you hiding? That's the first question he asks. He doesn't come around the corner like, gotcha, bite out of the apple. It was actually a watermelon for those of you who need the context. It was not an apple, it was a watermelon. I thought that would go over funnier. But part of it's because I just thought of it right now. Um, Why are you hiding? And Adam and Eve's response is, well, we saw that we were naked. We know now. Sneaky devil. If you eat this fruit, you'll know. What will you know? You'll know a lie. You'll know how to listen to lies. You'll know how to be deceived. You'll know how to not be fully present with people. You'll know how to focus on yourself. And so Adam says, we saw that we were naked. That's why we're hiding. We're not enough. We tried to cover ourselves. That didn't work. And God's response is, who told you you were naked? Who? And then they immediately just start blaming. She did it. He did it. The devil did it. Boom, 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 boom. Self-protection. Anything to get the focus off of me again. And that's where it got really screwed up. This, this, this whole design that God created, our purpose, which is the river's values, our purpose to understand that because we're created in his image, that makes us his children. Just like, just like my son and me. And then because of that, we're supposed to reflect that to each other. And we're supposed to be completely transparent and open and naked and vulnerable with each other and be lifted up in community. That whole thing got switched around when Adam and Eve learned how to stare in the mirror. And now the majority of our time, yours and mine, is spent staring in the mirror, trying to figure out how to fix myself. Trying to figure out how to make myself unashamed or acceptable or good enough. The problem with that is the only way that you know now how to fix yourself is through sowing it, faking it, 
hiding so no one can see you or blaming someone else. That's why I hate small groups. Sorry, I think I'm supposed to be the small group pastor or something. But that's why I hate small groups. I just, I I drove down to Nashville and I was on this guy's podcast, Nate Larkin. He wrote a book called Samson and the Pirate Monks. And he was a, he's an amazing man, but he about lost his entire ministry and marriage and everything to secrets, to secret sins. And he finally learned to be transparent and live in community and stop doing the mirror gazing. And he asked me about small groups, I think. Or maybe I just started talking about them because I hate them so much. But I ended up saying something like, small groups give people who are not therapists the opportunity to practice therapy. And so we go sit in these circles of people and, we're, and if we are vulnerable and we share everything, then like five people start, you should do this, you should do this, you shouldn't have done that. And we're just shaming each other. It's called blaming. It's called self-protection. It's called anything to get the focus off of me because I'm inadequate. At least I'm not this. At least I'm not as bad as them. I went to small group today and I gave this guy a thousand answers and so everyone was focused on him. They weren't looking at me. And if we've ever taken that risk to be vulnerable and we've been burned by that, all we do is either we hide and we stop going and stop being involved in community or we just learn to fake it. And we just match people's level of honesty and transparency. Yeah, I struggled a little bit too about a month ago. And the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that, and yesterday. I went to breakfast with a friend of mine who comes here, and it was the most beautiful thing. His name's Bill Shoemaker, and I did not tell him I was going to use his name so he might sue the river. But we went to breakfast, and for some reason, we got past all this mirror-gazing fakeness. And we started to talk about, like, junk in our lives. And he shared. And I'm listening to the guy. And it was an amazing story he had to share with me about how the enemy tried to destroy his life and how God was on the, on the way of restoration and had done a ton of things to bring healing. And I sat across the diner table from him. And my response was, Me too. And because he was was open with me, I felt like, man, I I think I can be open back. And I shared my story with him. And he looked across the diner table at me and he said, me too. And in that moment, like something that existed in the mirror world where we hide and we fake and we blame, something shifted. And Bill and I had this, had this realization that we were two men created in the image of God. Children of God, bright and shiny, who God loved. We reflected his mannerisms because we had been with him. And now we were having intimacy because we were able to encourage each other 
to stay in that intimacy. That is good. The how for community is that if you're an image bearer of God and you take your heart out and put it on the table and you live in that fear of will someone stomp on it, you must develop some courage. Because the word of God says, if I walk in the light, as he is in the light, not like try it one time, but if I live in it, I'll find fellowship with people and then I'll realize that the blood of Jesus purifies me from everything. And I'll somehow be able to stop staring in the mirror. How do I fix myself? How do I stop this sin? How do I make myself better so that I can be acceptable to people and to God? And you'll begin to understand that Jesus took care of all that. Intimacy and community. And then God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Mercy. Take creation and subdue it and rule over it everything that moves on the earth. Do you know what it means to rule? If you're a king and you're over a country, that's a lot of responsibility. We've had many rulers throughout history do a really, really bad job. But if you're a king and you're meant to rule, that means you are intended to care for creation. You are intended to love it, to encourage it, to meet its needs, and to look beyond yourself so that you can see the hurting. You're not going to be able to operate in this mercy category unless you understand that you're a child of God and you're intended to bear his image and be in intimate relationship with him. You're not going to be able to operate in this mercy category unless you understand that there is freedom in Christ to be vulnerable with people who are also image bearers and who will lift you up and encourage you. But once you begin to kind of grasp those things, then you start to understand that if I'm like this and I'm staring in the mirror at myself trying to fix myself, there is absolutely no way that I can see anyone in my peripheral vision. I cannot look out the window when I am staring in the mirror. I can't do it. I cannot see anyone who is hurting when I believe I am the one who needs fixed. When I spend so much of my time sowing fig leaves or hiding or blaming so that people don't focus on me, I cannot see my neighbor. But to operate in that mercy category and to rule over creation is one, to understand who you are as royalty And then to understand that you are to bring everyone else alongside you into that and find the hurting ones. The kings should be eating with the peasants. They should leave their castle walls 
and quit being concerned about what they're going to wear to the ball and go out to the people in the streets. As the master of the banquet who was preparing a banquet and had sent out invitations that nobody responded to, Jesus tells a story. He then sends his main servant out and says, go out into the streets and the gutters and find the people that can't walk, that can't get here by themselves. Put them on your shoulders and bring them to my banquet. Mercy. This is a cool story. I have a friend, his name's Aaron DeWall. He's in the Marines. So don't ever talk bad about him. (laughs) He was at drill last weekend. And Aaron understands this principle of being created in the image of God. And him and I have done a lot of work on learning to live transparently together. And so he understands and values that he's a child of God and that community is important. And there's a young man, he was telling me the other day, on his, uh, in his group that has a really, really, really hard time because he's littler than everybody else. And so everybody's got these 100-pound packs on and they're hiking the mountains or whatever they're doing. And this kid is just like... 20 yards behind everybody, knees bent, back just bent down. He's almost ready to kiss the ground because he's so discouraged. And he keeps saying things like, I'm going to quit. I'm just going to leave my gear at the door and I'm going to quit, which the Marines allow. They're not like, come on, everybody. We want anybody who wants to join. They're like, if you can't handle it, then leave your gear at the door at any point. It's not boot camp. That's, that's just drill. That's for people who've made it through boot camp. And so this kid has been doing this all weekend. And he sits down and they're sitting in a circle or whatever you do after a hard day's work at a marine drill. And the kid's just like, I'm going to quit. And Aaron, who understands you're never supposed to talk about God and things with government stuff and totally obeys all those rules all the time. Shaking my head no. (laughs) Looks at the kid and he goes, I know I'm your commanding officer. And I understand that there are some things I have to relate to you by the order of the military. But off the record, when I'm feeling discouraged, sometimes prayer really helps me. And the kid starts weeping. Weeping. So Aaron gets up, walks over, puts his hand on him, and starts praying for this young man. And then he starts preaching to him. And by the end of it, this kid's preaching to everybody else about what happened. And they're back at the base after drill, and everywhere Aaron goes, guys are saying, hey, DeWall, you encourage me. Isn't that awesome? I think it's kind of funny, but I think it's awesome too. I would love it. I would have loved to see it. Hey, DeWall. You encourage me, you know, giant Marines. 
mercy. When you acknowledge that you rule over creation because you're created in the image of God, you are able to care for the hurting. You're able to live in community. You're able to stop staring in the mirror. This is the hardest thing. This is the greatest struggle in humanity. To stop staring in the mirror and look out your window. To stop thinking my relationship with God is solely about me. Getting myself to a place where I can have a good relationship with God. And getting myself to a place where I can have a good relationship with people. That's the greatest human struggle, I believe. Stop staring in the mirror. And then once you can kind of get your mind around intimacy and community and mercy, the river has this other really strange value called multiplication. We want everyone to know all of their times tables. (laughs) It's really important to us. Even your 12s. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We see the direct connotation for reproduction, this this call to fill the earth with people, which was direct from God. And at the same time, when you understand that you're a child of God created to bear his image and have intimate relationship with him and reflect his mannerisms as a son does a father, and then open your heart up and be transparent with other people who reflect the glory of God and who are children of God, and then you are also able to stop staring in the mirror and look out the window and see the hurting and go to them and bring them to the banquet and tell them that they also are children of God who are meant to be in community and meant to shine and reflect God's glory. You have another big job to do at that point. Sorry for the run on. You have another really big job to do at that point. And it is to be fruitful and multiply yourself. Because if you become a person who can stop staring in the mirror and look to God and to others and to the hurting of the world, you have to make more of you. You have to begin to grab people and bring them along with you. That's the hard part because I do know And have a lot of friends who are really striving to stop staring in the mirror. And they're doing a pretty good job of it. They're understanding God's grace. They're learning to live transparently in community. They're understanding who they are in Christ and developing that intimacy with God through getting in his word and through prayer and through just that understanding of relationship. And they're even going out into the hurting places of the world. And they're doing the thing that Jesus did. They're going to the broken and drawing them in. But they missed that point of, hey, you, come with me. Do this with me so that I can have twice the impact. Could you, could you see the multiplication just like spread through and legacies just explode? If once we stop staring in the mirror, we started grabbing other people and have them come with us? for every little thing that we do, it would be awesome. 
I had this friend in high school, and I'm not going to say his name, but he, he kind of smelled, and he, uh, he wasn't the most popular kid, and um, that, w- that was when I first met him. It was, it, was a real, it was a real thing, like no one really hung out with this kid. But he just knocked on my door one day because our dog was in the backyard, and he was terrified of our dog. And so we waited till our dog was gone. He knocked on the door, and we're in high school. You know, I answer the door, and it's like, hey, you want to play? You know, I, I, it, it was, what do you want? You want to hang out? Yeah, sure. So we started to hang out, and I started to just, even in high school, just bring him along to everything I was doing. I brought him to youth group. I brought him to um, church camp. I, I took him to any ministry stuff I was involved with. We would hang out at school. We would go to the Bible studies before school started. We would just do stuff together. And what was really weird about it was people didn't understand what was happening because he was kind of like, at that time, the uncool kid. I was not saying I was super cool, but that's just not something you did. But God was like, pour into this young man. By the end of high school, he knew the Bible just as well as I did. He had led people to Christ in the same way that I had. He was praying for people and challenging me to do things that were out of my comfort zone. And then when we went off to college, we split ways. Double the impact. That's multiplication. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Intimacy, community, mercy, and multiplication. This is the impact we were created to have, and this is who we are. I truly believe it is time for river people to stop staring in this mirror, thinking of ways that we can become better Christians, thinking of ways that we can try to overcome sin, thinking of ways that we can do more to be acceptable to God and to others. And to even if it's by faith, just believe that we're enough. Even if you don't feel it. Look out your window. Find the hurting. Go to them. Find places to be transparent and do it. And then bring people along with you as you do it. I bet if we did that, the river would triple in size in like two years. But more than that, Kalamazoo would just be changed. Because we wouldn't preach a gospel that's fix yourself. We would preach a gospel that said, you were created in God's image. You were created not to be alone. You were created to care for the hurting. And you were created to find someone and bring them along with you as you do that. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. I hope that this this message I've shared with you doesn't... I hope it sits in your mind. And I hope you think about it for the next month. 
Because it's one thing to talk about it, and it's another thing to take a step in a direction that will allow you to move forward in this thing we call faith that's going to impact the world.